Uh, so the information is weird. Either 1.1 million new jobs were created in November or 210,000 new jobs were created Wait. In, in November. 1.1 million, 780,000 or 210,000. Right, right. We got all three numbers, but what, somewhere what between those? 210 and 1.1 million. <laughs> <laughs> Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the ball up with our English dead, which is really stinky, by the way. Yes, you don't really. That's there are other things that you should use for insulation. I would, we would highly recommend using but, a, a qualified inspector before filling your wall up with anything. Actually, I could fill the wall up with all my English dead, and it wouldn't be very full because I really don't have an English dead. Oh, well, that, that is that is a true statement. Yes, welcome but, back to the Personal Wealth Coach. We are uh, we are not only spouting inanities, we also talk about the economy. Wait, I just was totally redundant there. Yes, we we do speak eco-babble as well. Um, it, for those of you who like to speak eco-babble, um, we can speak that language. If you like translations, hopefully we can do that too. We can talk about Omicron a little bit, I think. Yeah, it is the uh, the largest mover in the crazy market week that we've had has been news of the new mutations and variants. And there's may not have come across in the headlines that the founder of the Pfizer vaccine company, BioNTech, Ugar Sahin, I think his name is, who probably knows more right now about at least has proven to have a better grip on how to deal with the coronavirus uh, pandemics than just about anybody else at this point. Said, in, a, in essence, it's not a big deal. Yes, it's, it's more contagious. It looks like very strongly it's more contagious than the Delta. In other words, people catch it easier. It's easier spread. It also is appears to be somewhat less severe than the Delta variant. Um, last but not least, so far, and I've been trying to track this as hard as I can, people who've gotten severe effects of infection, in other words, they've gotten very ill and been hospitalized from the Omicron version, have been unvaccinated. So his recommendation, which obviously carries some degree of conflict of interest because he wants you to get vaccinated so he'll use, you use his vaccine. But if you've had three shots, three Pfizer shots so far, and this is just so far, it's very unlikely you'll wind up in the hospital with the new variant of COVID. Right. So nobody, nobody apparently has so far. What, what we said in the newsletter is worth repeating probably dozens of times over the next several weeks. We've seen no definitive anything on any part of this. We see a lot of maybes and possiblys as far as if it's more infectious, if it's deadlier, if it's milder. Uh, we don't really know yet. But that has caused pretty big swings in the market, day-to-day -day moves of two and a half plus percent back and forth and back and forth all week over this 
scary new thing. Now there's another component in that we haven't had the kind of volume. There's not been as many people buying and selling the last week as there normally would be. And that's just because it's the week after Thanksgiving. Well, there's a little hint already in the United States. Um, I track the growth rate of COVID that's reported through Bloomberg every week. And the growth rate was back when the uh, virus was rocking and rolling. And, and that's in, by the way, percentages per day. Jumped as much as, as astonishing 1% growth per day average for a short period of time. It was up in the upper 0.29% range. In other words, almost 0.3% per day infection rate, 1.7% per day. But it was steadily declining this late latter part of this year until this last week. The week ending 12-3, it jumped to 0.23, which doesn't sound like much. And the death rate jumped from 0.14 to 0.20. Again, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. But the issue is there appears to be an acceleration. Now, it could be the Thanksgiving. Everybody got together over Thanksgiving. That could be all we're seeing here. But in other countries, um, in South Africa and Eastern Europe, where there are low vaccination rates, when Omicron shows up, the infection rate goes up pretty dramatically pretty fast. And the hospitalization rates go up pretty dramatically pretty fast. But again, it appears to be almost exclusively unvaccinated people. Now, if you're here in Bell County with us, I got some good news for you. I track the deaths per week and the cases per week. And at one point, we were having like in September and from from August through September, we were having over a thousand new cases of COVID per week in Bell County. And we had death rates like 28 per week during that time period. Uh, so we went. So that was that was pretty much the peak for us uh, in this way. We were up to 60 per week back in uh, February. And then it's but it's cooled off last week in Bell County. Two people died of COVID, which is. Pretty, it's the lowest we've had since this thing started. And the only 15 new cases reported in Bell County last week. What does that mean? That means it ain't here yet. So there's no need to panic if you happen to be wandering around in Central Texas. It's going to take a while for Omicron to get here, just like it did for the others. But here's the takeaway from this. Really good series of studies came out, and what they said was, your probability of contracting COVID is reduced 53% if you wear a double layer or K95 mask. Or N95, KN95. N95. And, well, actually, there's a K95 now, too, yeah. apparently, which the, is... The K90, KN95 is the uh, yeah. Chinese version for the same. Yeah. So the, the bottom line to it is there is another wave almost certainly coming. If you're fully vaccinated, which means three shots, it has very, very, so far, what we've seen is an indicate, indication that it would have a very low probability of putting your hospital in the hospital. If you're not vaccinated, probably a good idea to take every reasonable precaution you can in the near future because it will arrive here. And when it does, it's causing, it, it's putting people in the hospital in places that saw low hospitalization rates, it's filled up the hospitals and filled up the ICUs again, and people are dying. But I don't, the other thing is the president said, we're not going to do a lockdown. 
So economically, I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on us. It may have a small impact, but I don't think it'll have a big one. Yeah, I think uh, uh, we're not seeing hiring shifts or we're seeing the reverse. There's people coming into the workforce, double jobs now. But I have another subject that I wanted to switch to. Yes. I hope um, I know what it is. What? I, I bet you don't. It's kind of crazy. Employment, unemployment? Nope. Even a bigger, oh, well, well, it's sort of in the employment for Jack Dorsey. Oh, the employment for Jack. Well, he went, he's gone three dimensional ones. Uh, you may be talking about somebody else, maybe Block. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I went from square. square to Block. Okay. And he founded the company. So, Jack Dorsey who has been the founder and CEO or co-founder and CEO of both Twitter and Square. Square Square is like a mobile payment center. So basically, if you've given your card to almost anybody as a vendor that's not inside a brick and mortar, they probably used a Square of little thing to swipe your card with. So it's a, kind of a big deal. Um, and Twitter, I think most people know what Twitter is at this point. Um, he founded them both and, uh, I've kind of had little interactions with, with him early on in his career and was very impressed with him. Very smart guy. Well, so what happened? Why is what he stepped down as the CEO of Twitter? He's moved over to concentrate on square, which they just renamed to block. And now uh, there's a new CEO over at, at Twitter. Uh, his name's Agrawal. What is this? What is this about? We've just seen something similar take place over at Amazon, where Jeff Bezos stepped down, and said, "I'm not going to be CEO anymore." What What is that about? And there's headlines about um, uh, the 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 people who are the the favorite poster childs to be yelled at in Congress or stepping down as CEO, who is Congress going to yell at now? This is a cycle. Uh, this is the, the group of new technology.com and social network folks that really hit off big, the ones that survived through the dot-com bubble and then those that took off during the Great Recession are reaching a point in their life cycle that's called maturity, where they're not the newest technology anymore. Uh, and there's, there's all kinds of books about corporate life cycle, but it's really cool to see this happening across such a wide spectrum of companies right now, where you've got uh, CEOs that have been there for a long time. Alphabet, this just happened a few years ago. This is the Google folks stepping down as CEO and having other people step in. Uh, what is it about? Well, if you think about a company like General Electric, GE, or IBM, they're not doing much of anything that they started doing at the beginning of their company. I mean, their GE is not in the laying of electric lines. As, I mean, they've still got some electric in their name. They still do that but they've switched to a lot of other things uh finance and and many many other things ibm is not building mechanical typewriters anymore i don't know if you've noticed that um they're not yeah i mean for they they made a, a relatively recent switch away from mechanical typewriters at some point in their 
Now, they have redesigned themselves repeatedly throughout the cycle of this corporation. Corporations can have a lifespan that's a lot longer than a human lifespan in many cases. So if you think of it from that perspective, where are these companies? What are they doing? What replaces them? We have these continual new waves of new companies that pick up. We had Amazon and, and Alphabet kind of came from the same era. And then you had Facebook and Twitter that came from the same era. And you can see similarities in those companies and what they're based in and the type of media that they're using to get to you. And as technology progresses to the next and the next and the next, you see companies like Facebook trying to reinvent themselves, becoming meta. You see Square becoming block because they feel like they've reached their market share for swipe at, at your local vendors. So this happened to Dell way back when Dell was the new thing. They, their new thing was to, to give you on-demand computers that you could design yourself and have them shipped to you rather than just take whatever's at the box store. So custom computers, that was a new technology. And at some point, you know, Michael Dell said, I want to have a computer in every household in America. And people thought that was nuts. And then at some point he said, I want to have two computers in every household in America. And then people thought that was nuts. And now most households have much larger than two number of computers in their house. But Dell's not the only one that's giving them to you anymore. In fact, Dell is a small percentage of the market share. There's no single company with the big percentage of the market share like there used to be. There's, it's been commoditized. That happened with Apple and the iPhone. When, uh, when the iPhone came out, it was the only smartphone. You, if your smartphone and iPhone were synonymous, now there's lots of different things that you can buy in that market. They don't have the biggest market share anymore. So they have to look ahead. What else are they going to do? Amazon is becoming, they're, they're now making more on computer server hosting than they are on sales through Amazon.com. Microsoft makes more on server hosting uh, than many of its other aspects. It's certainly more than Office, and they don't make a whole lot on their operating system. So if you look at what the purpose of companies are, they change over time. The culture changes. And if it doesn't, then the company collapses and goes away. And each cycle of these corporations, they have that opportunity. And this is something that I go back to and I repeat again and again and again, is that a company that you that is established recently and you didn't know their name 10 years ago, could be 20 times its size in five years or it could be gone in five years because that's the most volatile part of this cycle is right there at the beginning. Once you've been around for a while, the odds of crushingly dying away into nothingness kind of go down a bit. I mean, you look at IBM, they are redefining themselves and have been over the last decade or so toward a, a quantum concept or toward an artificial intelligence concept, but they haven't found a way of making that profitable yet. 
Well, Twitter wasn't profitable. Facebook wasn't profitable when they were new technologies. They were famous for not being profitable when they hit IPO. Not pro- not only not profitable, but having really no source of revenue, period. <laughs> no way of even actually knowing how to make money. And now they are extremely profitable and to some extent have changed their entire culture to run people off that came for other reasons and to keep people that don't mind the advertisements. Did you catch a little bit of my opinion leaking yes. through on that one? So, the, I mean... What we're seeing across industries right now in this kind of sped up fashion coming out of the pandemic, expect to see more of the new companies changing leadership in the near future. Uh, it's just, this is part of the, of the life cycle of companies. And we finally hit that point. Twitter's got started in 2010 so 11 years as a CEO is a long tenure. So uh, just an interesting demographic shift, like thinking of life cycles of humans, think of it as companies too. It's just fascinating to me. That's it. That's the whole subject I wanted to talk about. All right. Well, I want to move on to another subject that was in the headlines if you were following financial stuff and economic stuff, and that is the jobs report that came out from the Labor Department. And um, not only did other people, but also Jeff McClure here saw this as the weirdest job report I've ever seen. Yeah, my my eyeballs got crossed reading that thing. I was like, huh? What? In lots of places. The the top line headline was twofold. One, unemployment dropped to 4.2%, which is historically and generally considered to be full employment. Uh, We're approaching the unemployment rate the lowest unemployment rate we got prior to the pandemic. So unemployment is a relatively minor thing. Unemployment rate is, by the way, determined through a household study. In other words, the Labor Department contacts a lot of households across the country during on a given day. They, did, they have a lot of people to do that, and I don't know how they do it. They never called me, but they do it. And they've got some innovative ways to do it because most people don't have landlines now. So they're obviously calling cell phones and they, they figured out who answers the phone, who doesn't. Uh, it's you, a pretty usually good they have a, a system where you can go and volunteer for it. Um, and they, they sometimes will even pay you money if you, it's not, it's not going to cause you to buy a better present for your son or daughter this Christmas, but it may pay you enough for a coffee, um, yeah. that sort of thing. Well, the issue is that the unemployment rate dropped to 4.2%. Now, then in the same report, out comes the new jobs created in the month. And I'll go into some more about the unemployment household survey in just a moment. New jobs created, 210,000, which is, in normal times, not bad at all. But it was like half a million the previous month. 560 some thousand and now it dropped to 210,000 which would cause everybody's if you're an economist cause your heart to go pitter patter whoa we're not hiring people well you have to look very carefully and see that it's seasonally adjusted and the seasonal the seasoning in this particular adjustment uh, it was normally it was rather large the, the seasoning is large because right now historically businesses pump up their employment with a lot of temporary employees for christmas and so they shave an awful lot off the numbers. 
Let me at the let labor me, department. Yeah, let me just kind of give real quick background. What is seasonal adjustment? Um, garlic. It's garlic and your stew. It's it's little, no. Uh, sorry, no. Uh, we actually have an email in from Philip that says, uh, you know, uh, is the weather affecting your state of mind or mood? Uh, you know, the seasons have an effect on, on us all differently. I'm willing to bet you can tie this question into the program somehow or another and go on for some time. <laughs> he knows this. Yes. Well, that's what seasonal adjustment is. The, the weather affects the economy. It affects, it, it affects hiring. But what's more, there's times of the year that we all admit the term Black Friday is talking about when the the budget goes from red to black for most retailers on the day after Thanksgiving when people start shopping for Christmas. Hiring happens like that too. People get temporary jobs, lots of them, during the holidays. Uh, there's also tax season temporary jobs. Lots of people at the IRS get hired for temporary jobs. Lots of tax preparers get hired for temporary jobs. So there's other times when you have to seasonally adjust, like the summer when people get out of school. Teenage wages are affected by this. Uh, college kids go to work at places other than college. And, and I just said collagen. No, not the stuff in your skin. Uh, if you think of it from that perspective, if you are an economist that you want to have that all of those silly wrinkles ironed out, let's regularize this. Let's get this all averaged together somehow so I can see any big blips that occur. Just as a side note, that doesn't work mathematically. If you average everything out, you won't really be able to see the big blips. And that's what we're talking about right now. The seasonal adjustment that takes place right now we don't have good math on it. Just like, oh, about five or six years ago, we didn't really have good math on unemployment and so on because they couldn't figure out how to do the telephone survey and get cell phones. So they were only calling people with landlines. And as you can imagine, people that are answering their phone on a landline are less likely to be working. Can you figure that one out there for a second? Uh -huh. if you do, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that can skew the result. They do make adjustments for that, but I right, got you. Right, So a seasonal adjustment. Uh, the economy is almost always slower in the first quarter due to winter and big storms. Uh, weather can, can have an effect all the way across the board. But coming back to this report, to tie it specifically into this report, tell us about the difference between the seasonal <laughs> adjustment and the reality of the numbers. Well, the actual number of new jobs created in the economy in this in in by at mid November was seven hundred and eighty thousand according to the survey. But they chopped three quarters of that off because of seasonal adjustments, because normally this time of year there's a tremendous surge in hiring that puts an artificial blip in there. That seasonal surge in hiring didn't occur this year. So seven eighty is probably a good number. And the reason it didn't occur this year is people are having a heck of a time getting people to work. Right. So they're hiring a lot of people early and they're hiring a lot of them full-time when they tip, tip, traditionally hired part-time. So we're kind of, by the way, the household survey, if you do the statistical calculations on that one, indicates 1.1 million more people were working in November than were in October. 
So the numbers are all over the place. It's 210,000, which is abnormally low. It's seasonally adjusted. The normal seasonal adjustment, I think, has created a phenomenal distortion. And the other side of that, the 210,000 number comes from the institutional survey. Wait, we haven't said what that number is yet. You just threw the number out 210,000. What is it about? Well, yeah, that's the number, but new what? Jobs. Of new, new jobs. New jobs. Correct. Okay, good. The 210,000 new jobs created in November and filled comes from the institutional survey. And one of the things that's happened very much is we had trouble getting people in households to answer their phones. And if you've been spammed like I have, you understand why people hesitate to answer their phones. They're having trouble right now getting companies to respond when they said, how many people did you hire in the last 30 days? They're having, and probably because the company doesn't have extra people sitting around to feed information to the labor department and say, that's not important. We're trying to make a living here. Right. Uh, so the information is weird. Either 1.1 million new jobs were created in November or 210,000 new jobs were created Wait, no, in November. 1.1 million, 780,000 or 210,000. Why? Right. We got all three numbers, but what, somewhere what between those? 210 and 1.1 million. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what what we're saying there is that the creation numbers of jobs are it's really really good news it means that we're not seeing the kind of drag on hiring that a lot of people were expecting to see right about now but the numbers are coming to a point where we're running out of people to hire cuz one other piece of that that stood out to me is 600 thousand people came back into the workforce yes that's important that were not in the workforce the month before they said hey i'm coming back in now seasonal adjustment that could be new people looking for temporary jobs for the season and that's what the labor department says oh yeah that's probably just them but the reality is that there may be if they're coming into the workforce again, or it's probably not Returning. just going to be for Christmas there. And we got a Bravo. Well done. Uh, on the seasonal adjusting and weather conversation. Uh, and this is, thanks, we still, thanks Philip. We're still missing a lot of people. If we say that we're expecting the workforce, the people, the participating percentage of the population to recover to where it was in 2019, we're still missing a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of those people will, um, come back into the workforce and, and some of them won't. And it's a big unknown going right. forward. It's, it's the, exciting numbers. The early retirement numbers coming out of the pandemic are high, but, that, but there's, there's some people that are undercounted. It's kind of like under arrested. Yes. Um, something really significant was in the fine print at the bottom of the report. That's for bureaucrats. That is the stuff you want to read first. Mm -hmm. Between January and October, there were 4.54 million new applications for taxpayer identification numbers for businesses. This is big news, people. Big, 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 big news. That is a 56%. Right now, we have active taxpayer identification numbers for independent small businesses most of which have no intention at this point of hiring anybody, they say. 
of 9.44 million people, which is a huge, and when I say a 56% increase, that's 56% increase over 2019. Yeah, we've got more, and this is something we've talked about during this whole thing, that that this sort of recession that we experienced is the, it, it's the new business nursery ground. And you can go back and listen over the last year and hear how many times we said that specifically, and you'll discover we said it a lot. Well, here it is. We've got 56% more small businesses than we did a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. That's nuts. That is huge. That is mind-bogglingly amazing for the future of our civilization as we know it, because that is pure innovation. This, these are people that either lost their job or volunteered to stop their jobs so that they could start another one doing something that was worth filing paperwork on. If you've ever done that paperwork, you know it's not the simplest thing to do. <laughs> and this is an important thing. This is part of the differential between the institutional survey that said 210,000 new jobs or 780,000 new jobs and the household survey that said 1.1 million. When a person leaves the, the standard workforce, institutions are no longer reporting this person as employed. They are technically unemployed. You and I qualify completely as being unemployed, not only unemployed, but serially unemployed and un, not even trying to look for a job for the right. last several decades. It's, it's horrible because we're self-employed. And it takes a while before the Labor Department picks up on the fact that a person is self-employed. When a person is self-employed, they don't show up on the standard statistical generation sources. Uh, basically, the IRS has to report we have this many people who are now self-employed and actually making money. And the Labor Department gets that. And we have to report at that point. And we have uh, a question that we got from Dane, the producer, as we first got on about cryptocurrency and what happened last night. We covered it. it. Fell just a little bit uh, the first hour, but we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail now, if you don't mind. Um, what happened? What, why did the crypto, why did basically the entire crypto market drop 20% overnight? What happened there? Um, there's all kinds of people that are going to tell you this is exactly what happened. And they'll say that's exactly what happened. The reality is nobody really knows, but I can give you some of the symptoms of what happened, some of the causes. Nobody really knows. Why do I say that? Because everybody's going to claim to know. Well, because we don't know the trigger. There may have been a big sale. There may have been something. A group of people decided to sell at the same time. Something happened. We do know that there is a new form of lending that's taking place in the cryptocurrency market where there's a lot of a lot of lending companies that have gone in there to charge really high interest rates to loan you bitcoins and you can use your own bitcoin as collateral on the bitcoin. What here's the issue is that you may be able to go to multiple lenders to get loans on the same bitcoin. And what we have seen 
from many of these lending companies is that they had to do what's called a margin call, a lot of them overnight. Part of these lending agreements were the ability to make the sale themselves on the collateralized Bitcoin. So the computers were selling for margin calls. There were orders going out to say, make the sale because the market's down. And those sales were happening in a down market, which was causing the market to drop more, which was causing more margin calls, which were automatically making sales, which caused the market to drop more and so on. And in the stock market that has in the past been called a flash crash. This bears all those symptoms, plus a lot more debt and leverage. There's a parallel here. Uh, most of you were taught in school about the market crash of 1929 and the banking collapse that followed where the government basically had to shut, did a banking holiday and literally shut down all the banks across the country so they could restructure them because they were failing so fast. One of the reasons that the banking system collapsed in the United States in the early 1930s, I think it was 1934, was banks were communicating with each other. So a business person, as a matter of fact, I knew one business person who was very happy that he had done exactly this, would have a desire to have a loan to start a business or to get a business running or whatever. And that person would go to multiple banks to get the loan against the same collateral. The, this and is the why the credit communicate bureaus, with each other. Yeah, this is why the credit bureaus exist with the power that they do is because the banks said, hey, we need to have somebody we can go to that's not in competition with us who says what the debt is. Yeah, they didn't have the communication capability. They Everything went through the mail and it was very slow and very cumbersome and the banks would make the loans. And so a person could use the same collateral with multiple loans from multiple banks. And when that unwound and the person's business didn't do well, it suddenly realized one of the banks might get the collateral back and the rest of them didn't and they were left holding the bag. Cryptocurrency being unregulated, that's exactly what's going on. Across multiple exchanges, people have been using the same crypto, the same crypto value, the same crypto coins on multiple exchanges to make multiple loans. And you're right, there was a specific trade that was pointed to last night that um, there was a somebody, Beyonce or somebody, made a very large sell. And when they made the very large sell, the price dipped and it triggered, uh, it definitely triggered margin calls in a lot of places. This, at some point, and by the way, El Salvador jumped in and yeah. bought, which saved the market. <laughs> but at some point, this could cascade into a complete collapse. Yeah, and this this is when when we reference this, this isn't the first time this has happened. Uh, when I say the first time crash for a cryptocurrency, I mean this kind of currency. This isn't the first time it's happened. It's not been electronic. It's not been based on encryption. It hasn't been to support uh, blocks of ledgers being encrypted. It has all of the symptoms of, of a private banknote, though, private currency of a bank, and uh, that those are also issued for whatever internal reason they wish value to be created and so on. And we had lots of currencies in the United States, dollar <coughs> currencies that were issued by uh, different 
different banks all the way up till 1863 when the office of the comptroller of the currency was established by Abraham Lincoln and the Congress of the time. They never get credit. It was always the president that did it, even though. Yeah, but the Congress screws things up and the president gets it right. Right. Depending right. on which party you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or vice versa, depending on if you're a other party. Right. I'd like to throw in another subject here, completely different. And that is uh, a hazard of self-directed IRAs. Um, there was a news article that was very important that came out this week. The one with the there gold? was a couple, that, yeah, there was a couple that got hit with a three hundred thousand dollar hit from the IRS on their seven hundred twenty-four thousand dollar IRA because they had converted it into personal property and stored it in their home. In a safe, it was in gold. Their home. It yeah. was gold specifically, but you in if you have something in an IRA, it has. And I've actually seen instances where people were doing this, where they had gold or silver, or they had something livestock. and they bought it livestock as part of their, their IRA. Property, yeah, you can do that as long as it's held by an independent custodian. And in this is this is what's really the other thing that's unlikely for people to be aware of. People put houses. In their IRAs, and the houses are held by an independent custodian, and they think they're perfectly safe. If they spend one night at that house, it is no longer part of the IRA. They effectively have withdrawn the total value of the house from the IRA, and they need to pay taxes on that house, uh, wow. the IRA value in that house, um, plus penalties immediately. Oh, there's something known as a prohibited transaction. And in the investment and retirement advice word, world, those are words that you never, ever, 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 ever say ever a lot more want to hear because it can, if the IRS is feeling grumpy, mean that the entire retirement account, the entire IRA becomes taxable. And if it's before retirement, that includes the 10% penalty. And in many cases, because people didn't realize that they had violated the law here, there can be penalty because penalty and interest because you didn't report it immediately. Right. That you had liquidated your entire IRA. And what's more, you owe the IRS in dollars, which means you got to get that very large amount of gold somewhere to sell it, to get it turned into dollars so that you can pay the taxes on the gold because the gold was not tax free. Or in other cases, the house. Or the house. Or so, self-dealing, what's called self-dealing in an IRA or retirement plan is absolutely forbidden. And if you do it, the IRS, and the IRS catches you at it, which in some cases they obviously are doing, they slam you pretty hard. Yeah. So you can do what's called a self-directed IRA, where you have an established third-party custodian that's taking care of the assets, but you can even have livestock in there. You can have gold in there. You just can't take possession of any of it. And that's something people just don't get, I think, because uh, this keeps popping up as big news every time, like it's a surprise. And well, Guys, you can't do that. Anyway, we're about out of time for this week. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we do give personalized advice and you can uh, reach voicemail during the weekends, real live people during the week locally at 
254-947-1111. Or you can reach that same line toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can uh, contact us through the contact form. You can uh, read our newsletter and sign up for it. You can listen to to our radio program going back up lots of years. Uh, You can also find us wherever podcasts are provided. Just look for the personal wealth coach or tpwc.com. And you can email us directly at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com.